0: Tell us what the Lord has done for you, young lady. Go ahead.
1: Um, there's a couple of things that happened in the last like couple of weeks. One was I...
0: That's all right. Hold it up close now. I, and I'll back I met the a, a woman,
1: um, and we were talking over the phone. And as we were talking, she's a Christian, strong Christian, head of her youth ministry. And the Lord revealed there were two different curses on her life. One that the... That the women in her family always drew like the wrong kind of guy and her mom used to I think she used to say she'd never amount to anything and I said to her you know those are curses and they can be broken and she was saying oh it's just that you know she just like went and I said you know those are curses those words are curses, and I explained about words how powerful they are and I said they can be broken do you want to break them off she's like well yeah, so we prayed, broke them off, and she literally felt like something lift up off of her. Amen. She felt a change in the spiritual after they were broken. And then another woman, um, one of my clients, I'm a massage therapist, um, I had a like really slow day. So we were talking, she's Christian too, we were talking and praying, and she'd never been baptized in the Holy Spirit so i said you know we were talking about that i'm like you need the holy spirit this is you know the holy spirit you know gives you power and there's the gifts of the spirit you know the gift of faith healing um prophecy word of knowledge word of wisdom and it's like don't you want that and she's like well yeah (laughs) so we prayed and she received the baptism of the holy spirit and then later we were praying some more and talking and the lord revealed she used to be a catholic so she, before she became a Christian, she had prayed to the saints, and that gives like, the demons behind them legal ground. So we prayed. She renounced having prayed to the Virgin Mary and all these different saints, and we broke that off and cast the demons out, and she felt a change too. She's like, oh, wow. you know, Between the two, the, the Holy Ghost just like enveloping her and breaking this stuff off. She just She's like, oh, I feel great even before the massage. <laughs>
0: praise the Lord.
1: But then I've been praying... This is one of my prayers that, you know, I mean, it says you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So I've asked the Lord to anoint my hands that everybody I touch would get saved, healed, and delivered. That's been one of my prayers. So this is an answer to see somebody get filled with the Holy Spirit and get delivered of some things. That's like an answer to one of my prayers. Amen.
0: Praise Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wow, we got this lovely couple coming up here. Let's see what y'all got. Praise the Lord.
2: My Dave and I have been learning how to... uh, Well, we've known how to pray in the Spirit, pray in tongues, but we've been learning to apply that gift in our life in a more powerful way. One of the things at night is that if you're being troubled in the Spirit or you're troubled, the devil wants to tempt you to keep you up at night when you should be sleeping and resting, letting the Spirit work on, on things... So we've been learning to go to sleep at night and just throw all our cares upon God and, and just sleep. But we're learning, too. If we wake up and we're not really troubled about anything, just pray in tongues. And we've been having fun. Well, uh, yesterday, Dave woke up at 2 o'clock. I think I'll let him tell you about this, but all he would do is pray in tongues. Now, I knew one thing about Dave, and I'm learning, I don't know with the hall wives about this, but if you want to put your man to sleep, let him talk, second, scratch his back while he's going to sleep <laughs> and it didn't work
3: yeah, normally if I wake up in the middle of the night I don't tell her but if she, she'll, she'll know that I woke up she'll start scratching my back and I'm, I'm out I couldn't go to sleep last night and I, I said okay father what do you want me to pray for well I didn't hear nothing because I'm new in this praying in the tongues stuff I mean I've prayed in tongues long but never realized the power of it and so I just sit there and just kind of. You know, and I'd wake right back up, and, and I'd be praying again. And, well, I got a call at 10 o'clock this morning as to why I was... What's that? He stayed up
2: till 5, <laughs> he stayed up till five o'clock praying in the Spirit. Okay,
3: okay. I'll put a time frame around 2.30 to 5. <laughs> okay. At 2.30, I'm awake, and I can't go to sleep. At 10 o'clock this morning, my stepmom left a message on my phone that my dad had gone to the hospital. And it, uh, they live in California, so 3 o'clock our time... Uh, she woke up and reached over to touch him and he was just dripping wet. And he has, he's fought a, a demon of diabetes since he was 19. He's now, uh, he yeah, he's, here. <laughs> 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 she said that, I didn't. the Lord Father, the woman you gave me. <laughs> okay. And so a half hour before she, felt him, I was up and I couldn't go to sleep and that's when I started praying in the Holy Ghost and then about the time I didn't quite get from him when he went back to sleep and all things were over and about that time is when I went back to sleep so I was very thankful the Lord had woke me up and that I could pray, send the demons whatever I had spoken in the spirit realm it had gone and so I didn't have to fly home this weekend instead of tell him about the heart stuff The heart. he's got a great heart okay. <laughs> actually uh, His heart rate, okay, his pulse rate was 30, and I understand that the lowest it can be is 40 before you kind of, you go meet your maker. So his pulse rate was 30 at that time, and he didn't, when you take your blood pressure, you have a high reading, a low reading, roughly 125 over 75, or 120 over 75 is good. He had 90 over, they couldn't get a reading off the bottom. And so I, I was joking with my dad. I said, "Well, it's a broke machine. I don't, I don't have a problem with that." So we went to the hospital and they had another broke machine. It read 90 over nothing. <laughs> so, so he he, he uh, he's still speaking some of the the stuff that he had. So I was saying, "Well, Father," I, I said, "Dad, what what was your spiritual? Let, let's let's forget about all the natural now. Let's go to the spiritual. What was it that you were dealing with during the week that you let take over?" And he said, "I can't remember anything." So I'll I'll be calling him again in a couple of days to find out what it was that. Actually did the attacking, so. But I, I, what, what we came up for was to thank God that He does wake us up in the middle of the night, that He does have us pray in the Holy Ghost, and that things do happen even when we don't know what's going on. Amen. So, Praise thank you, Lord. Father.
0: Amen. Praise the, Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else? Miss
4: First of all, I want to thank you, Pastor Thurman. Every prayer that you prayed for me has been answered. I have an excellent relationship, godly relationship, with my brother, thanks to your prayer. You went to third heaven. Unfortunately, not judgmentally, I cannot say that of anyone else that prayed for me, including my close friends, mostly. And uh, your last prayer uh, was about job. I don't have a regular job, but thanks to you and your lovely wife, uh, I made enough money to pay my bills this, uh, this last month. And then <laughs> God gave me revelation about my situation because I've been hurt, which is my own doing because I have a tendency to be too open, which can be good, but it's like a knife with two uh, sharp points, you know, it can also work against you. If you deal with people, for just people, they're not God, they're immature. Because you see, I know that we we are all made of the same dirt, but some of us think that we are made of better dirt than the others. <laughs> so and I cannot say for myself that I'm naive because I'm fifty eight and to be naive according to Oswald Chambers is to be stupid. I don't make stupid mistakes, but I'm not naive and I'm not stupid because I'm daughter of of God. And yes, Some people, I I also have a tendency to be hurt, which can uh, lean on judging if someone criticizes me. And then I ask and cry to God, and I haven't been to church because of that for a while, because I felt that people looked at me down, talked to me. Some of them did, very close friends, in a condescending way. You know, like I am that bad dirt, (laughs) which I am not. We are all the same dirt. And any gift that God gives us is not us, it's Him. Amen. Okay, and, uh, well, God gave me revelation and it's been confirmed several times. And, but I have to do it every day because my flesh, you see, uh, this does not include to anyone in here. You all are perfect, of course, <laughs> um, except me. I'm not because I still, I still tend to, have a tendency to let my flesh to, uh, you know, uh, rule me, which I don't want to, but the saying which the flesh is willing, no, the spirit is willing, but flesh is weak, which is just half of it. There is the other that I don't, uh, have not memorized, but there is, you know, more to it. Well, anyway, uh, let me read to you a revelation from God, our father, to his daughter. Please hold it. Thank you. Actually, Godfather was giving me lately, and I did not understand. Oh, Job! Job. <laughs> when I get excited, I um, my accent gets so strong. But then people say it's charming, so <laughs> it's okay. Okay, what it is? It is uh, Job 42. Um, I forgot my glasses. It's 50 age. Okay, Job 42, 10, which God says, And the Lord restored Job's uh, losses when he prayed for his friends that judge him and criticise him. This is my addition, okay? Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And you know it's been happening, not at the speed that I would like, at the speed of a turtle, but God, you know, his time his ways are totally different than ours. So it's great because you see, I worked last month like several jobs and one of the jobs, it was 10 hours. And then I, uh, no, I didn't cheat it. I left earlier because it was slow. And so I t- reported nine and a half and guess what? They paid me that I work 15 hours. That was God. And then uh, the other job, it was Calvin Klein. I was, uh, I got, the, that was from you, <laughs> God answered to you because you were really, 40 hours I got, which I never had before. So I, and instead of, they paid me more too. Uh, you understand? And, I, and yesterday, okay, two things, one little miracle, but then when God is involved, there is no little miracle. Like, uh, I have a neighbor above me. He plays uh, I should not call it music, it's uh, noise, and it's the most, okay, it's the most disturbing and I go crazy, you know, and then I put my Christian music, uh, one of my favorite, of course, I'm sure it's yours too, the Messiah, and I f- put it to full blast. <laughs> well, uh, the manager was uh, accidentally walking by my apartment and he knocked on my door, <laughs> And, uh, and see if I would quiet, I said, you know, I'm just trying to get even, Christianly speaking, with my neighbor because, you know, he, he just plays this crazy music and da-da-da. And then he said, well, when does he do that? I said, well, anytime, you know, but even in the night. Well, uh, he didn't, he stopped playing, but then the other day, in uh, suddenly I hear this terrible noise. And I just, because I've been kind of down, you know, because uh, I didn't didn't come to church last two two Sundays, Tuesdays, because I just didn't want to face anyone. You know what I mean. Well, anyway, I said, Lawrence, make him stop you know what, he stopped right then, at the very moment, would you believe that? And I said, Lord, you are, I almost said, un, and then I said, no, I bite my tongue, not unbelievable. you are incredible, you are incomparable, you know? <laughs> I mean, you are just, you know, I am speechless, I can't even praise you, or I can't even pray to you, because you are so, so wonderful. I'll just sit here and spend my time, time worshipping you in silence. Okay, that's one little miracle, shall we say. <laughs> Well, the other one, um, I usually don't get paid because I am now at the moment working like a freelancer for myself. You know, so uh, to whomever it might concern, the thing that I am, what they call it in Bible, sluggard, uh, don't want to work. I've been going and looking for any job, but you know, sometimes they don't give me a job because when I show my resume, it's quite impressive and I'm not trying to brag. So they don't trust me, which they have all right, because I would leave that job immediately if I would get a better one. And someone asked me and I told them the truth, okay, so they didn't hire me. Well anyway, these checks, I don't get paid on time and I have to pay my bills on time, right? Or or else I'm evicted. Well, (laughs) uh, it was yesterday, um, Saturday, I was supposed to be paid on Friday. And one of the checks, you don't get paid even for a month. Well, I I was going to visit my friend from Belgrade and I am, uh, who is helping me. She's not a Christian, but she has a Christian heart. Anyway, (coughs) well, she's kind of married to a Muslim and she's Orthodox, something, whatever. Anyway, um, (laughs) I said, oh Lord, it would be so wonderful. Please make, uh, uh, let be this, uh, at least one check in my mailbox. And I went to the mailbox and two checks, both of them were there. And that's how I found out that I made more money than I really work, like, you know, just God, I guess God wrote it. So I was so high. I mean, I was, I mean, like, I was really like drunk, you know, in the spirit. I was so happy because this is unbelievable. I didn't say God is unbelievable. I said, this is unbelievable. These checks here, and they paid me more. I mean, this is God, what what can I say? Anyway, um, okay. Well, this, um, just one more thing I want to say. This uh, revelation pro- from the Oh, my brother. Ah, yes. My brother called me this morning. He is, would you believe that? Thanks to you. Thanks to Lord and then yeah, to you sure and so. to this lovely lady. You know, did you notice that uh, Cheryl, she looks like Sharon Stone and also Catherine Deneuve, the French actress, only younger version. She's gorgeous. Well, God, you know, when it's God's choice, he chooses the best for his favorite son, of course. Anyway, (laughs)
3: let
4: me tell you this and then I, you know, stop. (laughs) What was, I mean, I yeah, my brother. Pastor Sermon, you know, when you went to First Heaven, oh please, this is wonderful. He's reading a Bible. And uh, he called me, uh, yesterday we were like talking so much and he said he's reading even Psalm 91 in the morning and in the night. I mean, uh, and then, and he's, uh, and he called me this morning because he had a question he asked me to ask him. It's a Psalm because he still doesn't go to church and the reason is because he's not ready, he, he, uh, cannot tie and he feels that it would be wrong for him to go unless he tied. So anyway, the Psalm is 16 and they make mistake, not a Bible, but the way they uh, here show showing. If you will hold it again, because this is very important. Okay? If I can see, because I forgot my glasses. Psalm 16, all right. Uh-huh. Okay, you see, he asked, okay, here, look, 16, all right. How do you read this right. It says six psalms. It says 16, then this, and 56, 60. There is no 56, 60, and 16 psalm because 16 psalm is only has 11 verses. So, uh, if you if you know, what do you think of that? It has only 11 verses, and they are saying here in reference that we need to look at 56 and 60 in in the same psalm. I don't know if that's in
0: that particular edition. This the, yeah,
4: the this is a
0: pretty full uh, yeah, Bible. I'll, anyway. I'll have to, I'll have to okay. look it up and see. Okay. I don't know. If it's well, anyway, thank you
4: anymore. for being what
0: you are. Amen. <laughs> praise yeah.
4: the Lord. And oh, praise oh, oh
0: Lord. I oh, <laughs> Praise <laughs> the Lord. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Anybody else have anything before we... Cheryl, honey.
2: Cheryl, honey my lady. How you doing? I'm
5: great. Good to see you. Uh, for all my life, ever since I was born, I always had a stomach ache. They said that when I was born that I cried for months with a stomach ache. I just, he Fred, nice to see you. Fred sang at our wedding back there. Um, and so I just assumed it was my life. I just had I think at one point in time somebody said it was an irritable bowel syndrome or something like that but I just always had stomach aches and I remember as a little kid I wished I was dead several times because of the pain well since I've married this man of course (laughs) I'd say honey I have a stomach ache and he'd lay hands on my stomach and pray and then he'd tell me well you know you're actually claiming this Cheryl (laughs) I'd of oh you know I'm learning your teaching and here I am claiming a stomach ache you know so he gave me a bunch of scriptures, and I wrote them down, and I started quoting him and rebuking the devil. And, and of course, he prayed several times for me, and I don't have a stomach ache anymore, and everything inside my body works perfectly normal, and I'm perfect.
0: Amen. Praise you. God. Did Yeah.
6: This one just has to do with my... Oh, unbelief, or I don't want to call it unbelief, just calling God short. Last week I shared about the gal that came from Arizona and how God restored her completely, but the mercury, we're going to then, using my head knowledge, we'll get rid of the mercury with the you know, herbs and stuff that get rid of the mercury. And I sat down, and I mean I came under total conviction on that. What does God do is right after the service, three of you came up. That's never happened before this way. Three of you came up to me to check for metals. And which I did, and in each case, there was metal toxicity. Usually it's it's, uh, nickel, sometimes mercury. And in each case, each case, because he had said, you know, just, you know, ask him, you know, just that knowing, it wasn't an audible voice like we we want. So I just said, God, take this, take these heavy metals, make them whatever inert substance you want that the body can pass out and that, that uh, there's no toxicity to the body. And I claim this in Jesus' name, you know, according to, we did it in agreement, Matthew eighteen nineteen. in that case. And in every case, when we rechecked, the metal toxicity was not there, all three cases. And on Tuesday, I did it to myself, with Kathy checking me, and it sure enough, gone. Very exciting. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.
0: <laughs> well, I guess it comes back down to the fact that, just like this morning, I told my story uh, also, been several things happen since Cheryl and I have gotten married. You know, we come into the household together, and the other morning uh, we get up and she says, uh, you want me to fix you some uh, breakfast before you go to work? And I said, well, that would be nice, I guess, if you want to fix me something. So we go in the kitchen, and she's scrambling eggs and fixing some stuff, and all of a sudden she reaches in the refrigerator and gets this gallon of milk, which is about two-thirds full, and takes the cap off it and starts pouring it in the sink. I said, honey, what are you doing pouring the milk out? Well, she said, honey, it's three weeks old. She said, I bought it before we got married. And she said, you know, it's, it's old and it's spoiled. I said, no. I said, you're living in a house with a man of faith. And I said, the milk does not spoil in my house.
5: <clears throat>
0: now, I'm serious. I'm a man of faith. I mean, I used to not know what faith is, but I'm beginning to understand what faith is. If Jesus said... If Jesus said, if you'll walk holy before me, and you'll do what I tell you to do, he said, you can have anything you say with your mouth if you believe it with your heart. Now, that's straight from the king in Matthew 17:20. Also in Mark 11:23. Now, if the king said, I can have anything I say with my mouth if I believe it with my heart, then if you don't start saying some things in faith, you're not a faith person. So, I told her, I said, don't pour the milk out. It's good. She said, honey, it's three weeks old. I said, doesn't make any difference how old it is. It's good and sweet, I guarantee. It. I said, just smell it. She said, no, I'm not even going to smell it. <laughs> I said, well, pour me a cup of it. She said, honey, it's surely it's ruined. I said, I'm telling you, there's not anything wrong with that milk. That milk is pure and sweet. I said, pour me a cup of it. So she said, okay. So she poured it in the cup. And she watched it pour. And she said, well, it looks like it's pouring, okay. <laughs> she, I started to take it up to my mouth. She said, you're going to smell it first? I said, of course not. I guarantee it's good. So I put it to my mouth and I drank it. And it was beautiful. And I said, you want to taste it? And so I handed it to her and she smelled it first. And then she took a swallow and she said, you're right. It's perfect. I said, I told you. You've moved into a house with a man of faith. And the milk don't go bad in my house. We drink it. Now, see, this is where you find out where your faith limits go to. The average person, just like Cheryl, as, as we started going places together now, I'm with her all the time. And if we go somewhere, she's stop, or she said, I've got a stomachache. My stomach's hurting. On the way out to West Texas, I mean, my stomach's hurting. I said, honey, after about two or three or four or five days, I said, you're claiming this problem. She said, well, honey, I've had this all my life. I said, that's why you've had it all your life, because you've claimed it all your life. I said, you're not going to have it. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to rebuke that spirit, and I'm going to guarantee you it's not going to be long. You're going to have no stomachache. I said, there ain't no woman going to live in a house with me that's got a stomachache all the time. I said, I'm going to get you healed, because the Lord that I serve says a man of faith can have anything he asks the Lord for. And so, of course, uh uh, we prayed over it several times, and of course, in the last uh, week and a half or whatever, she told me this morning, she said, I haven't had any kind of a stomachache. I said, well, you stop claiming it. You stop claiming. Now, see, we don't realize the significance of staying in the Word and walking in faith. Because when you stay in the Word and you walk in faith, you begin to realize who the enemy is, and you begin to realize that our King gave us no limitations. None. People go around praying, Oh, God, would you please do this for me? Or will you do that for me? No, you don't have to pray about almost everything you ask God for has already been given to you. It's already yours. But we don't know it. So by not knowing it, we go around claiming all kinds of bad things every day. See, we we don't know what the Word says. I mean, that's just like a few minutes ago somebody was talking to me uh, about someone that uh, has been putting hands on them and uh, working with them, and they're a, a type of a doctor. And that doctor says that he's a Christian, but yet he's been messing around with another woman. I said, don't think he's, you know, going to bed with this woman yet, but he's taking a woman out. And I said, well, you need to find yourself another doctor. Uh, he says, it's okay. I said, well, it, it's not up to him to say it's okay. It's not if you agree with it, is it okay. People say, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, that's not true. If God said it, that settles it. Don't make no difference what you believe. You know, you can believe yes or no, it makes no difference. But if God said it, that's where it lies, and he is no of persons. So that's just like I've said many a time. I said "A, a normal person, whenever the Lord says sin, brings forth death. And every time we have a healing school or teaching, Cheryl wants me to tell the story about the woman that was 68 or 70 years old that was in a wheelchair. And so that story is a good story. And I, this woman didn't realize, and of course I, I knew these things, here's a woman that's 68, 70 years old, a real beautiful woman, but she's in a wheelchair. She's slim and trim, and she's not heavy or anything. Technically she should not be in that wheelchair, but She was. And, of course, whenever I went to minister to her a year ago, when I began to check to find out what the problem was with this woman, I asked her if she was married. She said, no, her husband had died. She had been married for many years of her life. She had married one time to one man, and then her husband died. And I said, were you in good health when your husband died? She said, absolutely, I was in perfect health. But she said, I said, how long have you been in a wheelchair? Well, for solid, can't walk for two years, in and out of it for another two years, you know, got weaker and weaker and weaker. I said, did you start doing anything different before you started coming down with your sickness, any kind of sin? She said, well, what would that have to do with it? I said, sin brings forth death. I said, now, when the Word of God says sin brings forth death, I said, it's just like smoking a cigarette. I said, you smoke one cigarette, it won't kill you. You smoke one pack, it won't kill you. But I said, if you smoke a pack a day for 10 or 15 or 20 years, it will definitely shorten your life. It'll stop up your lungs and do all kinds of things with you, and you still may live to be 70, 60, 70, 80 years old, but you will not have the quality of life you have because the sacks in your lungs are all stopped up with nicotine. So if you want to be able to run, I think about my dad. He smoked all of his life, and up until he was 50 years old. Now, back in those days, when dad got to be 50, I thought he was ancient. You know, I had no idea, you know, what kind of shape dad should have been in at 50, but My dad didn't know how to walk by faith, and he abused his flesh. He abused it, especially in the area of nicotine. He smoked all of his life. Well, when he got to be 50, 55 years old, up until then, he could run them goats out there on that place with me, and he could do good. But after he got there, the nicotine began to take over in his lungs, and then he got to where he couldn't run very far. He could run maybe 100 yards or 200 yards with me, and then I could continue running, and he couldn't. And then when he got to be 60, 65 years old... Why, wow, he couldn't run anywhere. And when he got to be 75 years old, all he could do was walk from the kitchen to the table, table back to the chair, and he'd be out of breath. And then finally they had to go in and cut his chest open and take part of his lung out because he had cancer in there. And the doctor told me when they'd done the surgery, he said, if I would had to take any more of your dad's lung out, he would have died on the operating table. Well, see, sin brings forth death. We don't realize in the little sections it does. But anyway, this woman... I began to question her and find out what she was doing and the area of sin. And then I found out by talking to her and questioning her that she was a lonely woman. After her husband died, she would enjoyed her husband all those years, and then he's gone. And now then she's still a beautiful woman, and she still enjoyed a sexual relationship, but she didn't have a husband. So, of course, she was not going out looking for a man. But there was a meter reader that came by, about 50 years old. And whenever he'd come by and read the meter, she'd be sitting out on the front porch or something. She'd get to talking with him. And after two or three or four months, first thing you know, she's invited him inside for a cup of tea. And first thing you know, they get really, really close. And the next thing you know, that couple winds up in bed together. Now, then they've sinned. I mean, it doesn't seem all that bad, does it? But let me tell you, that is a sin against the temple. And God said, if you defile your temple with sexual immorality, I will destroy your temple. I've seen more people on their deathbeds because of sexual immorality than almost any other sin people commit. But anyway, I realized, I said, now ma'am, when you started this, your body started deteriorating. And in a few a couple of years, you wound up in and out of a wheelchair. And now you're in that wheelchair. I said, are you still involved in that sexual sin? She said, yes, I am. I said, all right, you've got to repent. I said, if you will repent and turn from your wicked ways and stop doing that, I said, the God we serve is merciful and he will heal you. That woman, 68 or 70 years old, been solid in a wheelchair for two years, repented of her sins, asked the Lord to forgive her, because she said, Lord, I just didn't realize the severity of what I was doing. But she said, I promise you, I will never do that again. And in the name of Jesus, I reached over and took her hand, and I said, ma'am, get out of that wheelchair and walk off. And that woman was forgiven and cleansed, and she walked out of that wheelchair right there. And before the evening was over, she was walking everywhere she wanted to go. And a year later, when I went down there to preach just back in March, that woman was there again, and she's still completely, totally normal. When I saw her, I said, you hadn't sinned anymore, have you? She said, absolutely not. She said, I'd a whole lot rather be able to walk than have a sexual relationship once a month. I said, and if you will to have a sexual relationship, ask God to send you a husband. Then when you get married, I said, you'll be okay. But I said, don't do it outside of marriage. I said, if you do, you're going to wind up sick and afflicted. Now, if you people had been to as many hospitals as I've been to with young women or young men, but primarily young women, that have brought one, two, or three children into the world out of wedlock, and then they're in the hospital with cancer at 25 or 30, you would know where I'm coming from. I mean, I've told the story in here about this little 15, 16-year-old girl that her daddy was a good friend of mine. He was in my Sunday school class, and she moved in with a young man when she was about 15. Her daddy talked to her. She wouldn't listen. He asked me to go talk to her. I wouldn't talk to her. She wouldn't listen to me either. I told her that, honey, what you're doing is wrong. You cannot live with this man. I said, you're a professing Christian. He's not a Christian. The guy don't profess to be a Christian. I said, first of all, you're yoked to an unbeliever. I said, that's the first problem. You're never, as a Christian, or are never to be yoked to an unbeliever. And I said, by being yoked to that unbeliever, although you're not, not married, I said, you're living in a relationship that you're defiling your temple, which is your physical body, with sexual immorality. And the Word of God says He will destroy your temple if you continue to do that. I said, you must repent and stop it. She wouldn't believe me. She had a baby. A year or two later, she had a second baby, and I went to her again at her daddy's request. She wouldn't listen to me again. She had a third baby. Before this woman's 22 years old, she's got three babies, all of them out of wedlock, living with a non-believer in a sexual relationship. And after the third baby was born, I talked to her one more time, and she said, No, I'm not going to change. I'm going to do what I want to do. This is my body. I'm going to do what I want to do with it. Well, let me tell you, if you read the Word of God, if you're a born-again believer, this body is not yours. It belongs to the King of the universe. And if you defile it in sexual immorality, he will take you out prematurely. Anyway, what he did with her, she had this third baby. The baby wasn't but a month or maybe two months old. And her and this boy and this baby, all three went to bed together. One night, the baby was sleeping in the bed with them. The next morning, he woke up, and the baby woke up, but the mother had had a heart attack stone dead, dead, cold dead. She's buried right across from where my wife and daughter is buried, out there in Justin right now. Every time I go out there at that gravesite, I see that little girl's girl sitting right there, and I remember what I told her, and she would not listen. But I think of the numerous cases I've done. When God said, don't sit, hey folks, that's what he meant. When he said sin brings forth death, that's what he meant. You know, so if you abuse your body, and when you're young, you don't notice this. When you're young, you're smoking or you're drinking. And how many people do you in here know, just like I do, that think, Well, a beer or two here or there won't hurt me. And it may not. But you get four, or five, or six, and you're living under hypoxia, and you think you're doing great, and you come down the road, you come around the corner, and you miss a turn. And then you wind up like this little couple down here. I was down here at one of the hospitals praying for somebody the other day. There's a little, beautiful little, well, it used to be beautiful. She wasn't beautiful anymore. Sixteen-year-old girl in the rehab center. Face tore all the pieces. Couldn't hardly talk. Her throat had almost been cut. And I asked her, I said, Honey, what is wrong with you? And she started crying. And it took her ten minutes to tell me if I just could do it over. I said, What happened? It took her 20 or 30 minutes to tell me this little simple story. We thought we were having friend, fun. A couple of friends came by. A couple of boys. And we, me and a couple of my girlfriends, we went out riding with them in a car. They had some beer. We all got to drinking. We thought we were having a great time. And they got to driving too fast. They missed a turn. And we ran off. And she said, my two girlfriends were killed. One of them boys was killed. The other one was almost killed. And she said, it cut my throat. And it all tore her face all to pieces, and and she was crying. Said, "Oh, if I could just do it over." I thought, I wonder how many young people have said that. All they thought they were doing was having a blast. But see, what they don't know is the devil. The devil, along with alcohol, when it puts that alcohol in your brain, it creates hypoxia. And the hypoxia that comes into your brain, you think you're doing better, but instead of doing better, you're doing worse, and you don't have a clue what you're doing. And that's where the devil kills people. And he kills them right and left by the multitudes. Young people. I think about my own son-in-law, Toby. When Toby came to Dallas, he's a normal young 22, 3, 4-year-old young man. Where does he hang out? The bars. What's he looking for? A wild woman. You know, a normal stupid young man. Don't have a clue in his head what's going on. Goes down there with a young, meets a young boy here in Dallas They get to become great friends where they hang out in the bars. They go there and get wiped out one night, and they're driving, and they go up on one of these places, and they have some wooden barricades, and it happens to be one of them things where there ain't no bridge on the other end, and they run off of that thing. Now then, you've got to where you notice now because of idiots like that. They put concrete barriers in those roads. Now, they don't just put wooden barriers no more, because when people are under the influence of alcohol, a wooden barrier don't mean nothing. They went right through one of them boogers, went right up over the top, and right off of a fifteen foot deal right on the ground, it killed that kid driving stone dead. Toby tore him all to pieces, knocked one of his eyeballs out, and they thought he wasn't going to live. He's got one eye because of that stupid stunt. After he met me and come into our family and saw my faith, he wanted me to pray for him a new eye. I prayed for him a new eye, but he ain't never got it. Isn't that a shame? Lost an eye almost died, all because of a stupid stunt. A stupid stunt. How many young people do that today? Let me tell you. Sin brings forth death. Now, I'm going to read to you some scripture today out of First Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to tell you, this is not a game we're playing on this earth. This is life and death. This is the blessings and curses, and the total deal is up to you. You've got to know what's right. You've got to know what's wrong. If you make the wrong choices, it's going to cost you or your family seriously. I don't care who you are. The Scripture says that whatever a man sows, he will reap. God shall not be mocked. Whatever you sow, is what you're going to reap. If you sow sow destruction, you're going to reap destruction. If you sow the things of the Word of God, you're going to reap the things of God. You cannot go out and do things that are wrong. And I'm telling you, I did not realize, I did not realize until I got into the ministry full-time how many people are having sex out of wedlock. I didn't know. I mean, I thought there was a few people in the world that were still living holy before God. I'm talking about in the church. I don't worry about the world. I know the world's living in sin. If you're a natural person, just forget it. They're all living in sin. I don't care who they are. The way of life is that way. That's why they're dying and cancer, and that's why the hospitals are full. But when I come into the church, it blows me away. In the church, people that profess to be Christians that will not obey the Word of God. They're going to do what they want to do. They don't realize there's a consequence. I don't care who you are. God's no respecter of persons. This is the thing you always need to remember. I don't care where you are or who you're with 24-7. There's a second heaven that's right here that occupies the same space, and within that space is... Spirit beings, some of them are good beings and some of them are evil beings, but they're everyone watching you. so when you say something it 's being recorded by both kingdoms. When you do something it's being recorded when you when you if you're married When you go to bed with your wife in the dark where that nobody else can see a thing in a pitch black house, there's a spiritual world sitting there with a good angel and a bad angel watching what's going on. And they can see you perfect. There is nothing you can do. When you walk into the shower, in the dark or the light, there's someone watching you 24-7. Do you know that makes you a little bit more conscious of what you do when you realize there's somebody watching you 24-7? What would you do if you knew, just like when I put video cameras after SkyShift, I put cameras all over the place. And I told the people when I put them up, I said, I am putting video cameras all over this place. I am absolutely fed up with people walking out of here with all kinds of stuff, stealing stuff that does not belong to you and you doing things you're not supposed to do. So I'm going to put surveillance cameras outside and inside of this place, and I'm going to find out who's doing what in this place. And I told them what I was going to do. And they watched us put up these cameras. And we told them, these are cameras, and we're putting them up. And do you know, they must have believed they weren't hooked up. We had a woman, a woman in there one day that, back in the liquor room, these little miniature bottles of, of, of wine or uh, different drinks, whatever they are. This woman, she took her dress and opened up the front and put 10 or 15 of these things down in the front, went down in her panties and everywhere else. And when she walked out the door, we had saw her put these things in her down in her dress. So we called the front gate. We told the guy, I said, check her. I said, now, you you better just detain her and we'll have one of the ladies come out there because I said, well, you're going to have to feel of her. She's not going to want you to touch her. I said, they're all down her front. They went right down her dress and they're probably even in her panties. So they sent a woman out there. They detained her. They went out there and this woman reached up and grabbed hold of this woman and all this stuff down under this loose dress. And so they literally made that woman take all that stuff out right there. And that woman had worked for that company for 19 years. And she lost every benefit and everything she had for stealing about 12 or 15 bottles, miniature bottles of stuff that was probably worth a total of 15 to $20. Lost her job. It's amazing what people do. It's amazing. But you tell them you're being watched. And they still do it. They don't believe it. But one day, I'd, I'd, I'd have certain people in certain departments I had four great big thirty six inch televisions in my office, and each one of them had eighteen little screens in it and had all those cameras tied in and actually actually between the two buildings, I had about one hundred and five cameras on the entire place and inside and outside, so once in a while, I would bring somebody, maybe a, a not a manager but a supervisor or something from a certain section, with one or two of their employees, I call them, I said, I want you all to come to my office. When they come to my office, I said, I want you to look at our monitors. I want you to see what's going on. And they would look and said, my gosh, you can see everything everybody does everywhere in this building. I said, that's exactly right, and I want you all to know it. And I said, not only am I watching you, but it's going on tape. I'm recording it. Everything you do is being recorded. Now, if you think I had a good surveillance system, that system I hooked up so good with the multiplexers and everything I had hooked up, I could go from any, I could be in Los Angeles, California, or Detroit, Michigan, in any one of our operations, and I had the code words, and I could go in and click on any computer in our operation, and I could pull up any camera in that building and see what everybody was doing. And I could be in Detroit, and I could watch the truck shop and see what my mechanics were doing. I could look at the maintenance shop. I knew what everybody was doing. If they were sitting around, I could call them on the phone and say, hey, you guys get off your duff back there and start going to work. (laughs) Just because I'm not there don't mean you guys get to rest. But see, when they finally figured out that I said, hey, I'm watching you guys. Now then, that changed the way those guys done business. Let me tell you, when you realize in the spirit world there's something far better than those video cameras watching you, when you're in a dark place with somebody fixing to do something you're not supposed to do, you've got to remember, like the other day when I was over at uh, Gateway Church speaking on a Saturday, there was one of the associate pastors came to me. they got 24 associate pastors over there. That is one big church. 6,000 members in that church, 24 associate pastors. One of the associate pastors came up to me and he said, I've got to share something with you. I said, what's that? He said, I heard God's voice one time. I said, you did? He said, yes. I said, would you mind sharing it with me? He said, yeah, I'll share it with you because it said it changed my life forever. He said, my wife and I, here I am a pastor, and my wife and I are having problems. And he said, I was upset with her, and she was upset with me. And what I was going to do, it was no excuse for what I was fixing to do. He said, I started going with another woman while I'm still married with my wife. He said, one day I had this woman in a place, and I was fixing to do something I knew I should not do. Now, we all know what he was fixing to do, don't we? He's fixing to go to bed with this woman. That's where he's at, with this woman. And he said, I'm getting ready to sin big time. And I know what I'm going to do is sin. But I'm angry with my wife. And he said, just before I do what I know I'm not supposed to do, all of a sudden I hear this audible voice. And he calls my name. Now I'm just going to use the fictitious name of Jack. He said, Jack, do you know what you're fixing to do? And he said, I turned to see who was there. He said, was that audible? And he said, there was nobody there. But guess who was standing right there watching him? Jesus. And he called his name and said, Jack, do you know what you're fixing to do? He said, I'm telling you, I got out of that house and I never came back. I was reconciled to my wife and I got right with God. I said, you're lucky he didn't kill you. He said, yes, I know. That's why when Pharaoh and I, whenever we came together, After we started going together, two or three weeks, said, are you sleeping with this man? And she said, absolutely not. She said, I know if God, with the way Thurman walks with God, if he were to sleep with me, God would kill him. And probably kill me too. But she knew, she knew that we were supposed to walk holy before God. Now, you've got to be in control of your life to walk holy before God. But if you will do it, you can do it. You can do it. Just like Paul says, if you can't control yourself, then he said get married. So whenever we first decided, when she come to me, she says, well, Honey, now we're going to get married. When should we get married? And I said, Well, i got a lot of speaking engagements. I said, Why don't we wait till September? Well, after we went together three or four weeks, she said, why don't we shorten that? And I was in agreement with that. I didn't want to wait till September to marry her either. And she said she didn't want to wait for September to marry me. And so we shortened it to the 6th of June, which I had no idea that was going to be exactly 40 days. So, now then, we got married on the 6th of June. Now we can go home together. And we're a married couple. So anything we want to do, it's okay because we're married. There's not anything wrong with us sleeping in the same bed together. In fact, I thought it was real nice this morning when I woke up, and she was laying real close to me. I thought, you know, isn't this nice, Lord? I hadn't spent a long time since I woke up in the morning, you know, until since the 6th of June. You know, for three years almost, I had not slept in the bed with a woman. But it is nice to wake up in the bed with a woman that you love that you can hold in your arm that loves you and you love her. It's the greatest thing God ever done is when he made a man and a woman. But you do things outside of wedlock, you will pay the consequences. So don't do it. Don't go there. Walk holy before God because it will show up on you or your children somewhere down the line. Nobody gets by with it. The sins will come. Now then, Let me give you a little bit, since I've said all those things, i want to read a little bit about what Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. Well, now this is the problem. We obviously in the church are very ignorant today. How that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they did all eat the same spiritual meat. And they did all drink the same spiritual drink for the drink of that spiritual rock that followed him, and that rock was Christ. So he was there then, and he's here today. He was there with them. He was right with them. He was walking with them. He was watching them. He knew what they were doing thousands of years ago, just like he knows what every one of us are doing today. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. I wonder what he would have to say about the church today. I think there would be many of us He's not well pleased with. Especially when I hear a woman tell me just a few minutes ago about a doctor that's dealing with her that's married that's messing with another woman. I don't think God would be very well pleased with that. I'm just a man, and I'm not pleased with that. In fact, I'll just tell you what you can do. Last night, Cheryl I have only been married three weeks today. Last night, she was singing, her and Christy, and she called me after the healing school was over. She was at the healing school until 4, and then she had to go sing with Christy. And about 8, 8.30, I guess it was, something like that, uh, she got a break and, and her singing, and she thought, well, Thurman's probably uh, out of the healing school by now, so I'll give him a call. So she gave me a call, and she said, hi, honey, what are you doing? And I, said, I said, I'm sitting here in a restaurant with one of my lady friends having dinner. She says, you're what?
5: <laughs>
0: I said, let me rephrase that, honey. I'm sitting here in a restaurant dreaming about having dinner with my favorite lady. And she said, oh, okay, that makes it better. But when I said, I'm sitting here having dinner with a lady, that didn't set too well with her. And it wouldn't have been nice if it had been true. But I was not. Of course, I was there by myself, and I would never have been there with another lady under no conditions, young or old, unless there was three, four, five of them and then their husbands or whatever were there with them. But I would have never, ever been in a restaurant with a lady. In fact, a few years ago when I was single, I've had several times ladies that would come out of town, two or three of them, they would want to take me out and buy me a dinner, and I would go with them, two or three of them. But now, since I'm married to Cheryl, I would not go even with two or three of them unless she was there to go with me. I just won't do that no more, because I now have a mate... And I would, I would not feel comfortable myself if she called me and she said, uh, uh, there was three guys down here, and they wanted to take me and buy me dinner. There's three of them. And saw so them out at a certain place having dinner with three men. That wouldn't set too well with me either. So I hope you all understand where we're coming from. So that's where we're coming from. But it says, and these men, although they were baptized in, in that rock which was Christ, and but with many of them God was not well pleased... For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, since he was not well pleased with them, what happened to them? They were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, let's go on and look a little bit more about what sin does. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Give us a little bit more detail. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication or sexual immorality as some of them committed, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. Now, if you have never seen that scene in the Old Testament, you will realize that when Moses was up on the mountain, he was only gone 40 days. He went up there to get the Ten Commandments, and when he came down from the mountain... These people, I mean Aaron, the the priest, if you can imagine, the people said, where is this Moses gone? We need a God. And so Aaron gets all this gold together, puts it in a a furnace, and they melt it, and he makes this stupid statement, we just put it in there and poured it out, and this golden calf just came out. (laughs) Nobody could be that dumb, right? Nobody. They formed that thing. There's no two ways about it. They made it. But here these people were. Now, there was... Several million of these people. The Bible says there were 650,000 men, adult male men, with their wives and their children. So there was a whole bunch of people. But out of 650,000 men, if they had, each one had one wife, then, you know, that's uh, 1.3 million people. So there's 1.3 million people, and these people had rose up to play. And they, what the Scripture says, they were literally having a sexual orgy out there. This is what was going on. They were drinking, and they were having a blast, they thought. And Moses come down off the mountain. God says, go down there. There's a party in the camp. And when Moses saw what was happening there, he literally took the Ten Commandments and threw them down. And when he did, that angered God, and the death angel was released, and the death angel to swooping through that place, and people started dying all over the place. And Moses saw it. And he immediately come to God and started interceding. Oh, Lord, please don't kill them all. Lord, stay, stop, don't kill them. He says, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to kill them all, and I'll make a great nation out of you. Do you think God was a little bit ticked off? I think so. But Moses continued to intercede. He, he would come before God risking his life for these people. And finally, God was pleased with his prayer request. And he stopped the death angel, but not before 23,000 people lay dead out there on the plains. You think God's changed his mind since those days with sexual immorality? Not at all. Not at all. So remember, if you start to have sex with somebody, realize who's watching. The king is watching. An angel is watching. A demon is watching. And the demon's going to get legal right if you go ahead and do it. And he's going to come into you. And he's going to create a problem. If people believe this book, they would stop sinning. They would stop sinning. At least in the church. Now, if you're a natural man out there in the world, I realize I'm not going to be able to get through to you. Until you hear God's Word, as a Christian, then and only then can you be controlled by the Holy Spirit. If you're a non-believer in Christ, forget it. You're going to do whatever satisfies the flesh, and there ain't nothing I can tell you That's going to make a change in your life. But the Lord is talking here to his children. Don't commit fornication as some of them committed and 23,000 of them died in one day. Then he says, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. We do tempt him and and put him to the test and we should not do that. Then he says, here's one that will get us all. Neither murmur or complain as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. If you get a hold of that, you won't complain no more. It doesn't make any difference. What anybody says or anybody does, you will not complain. When you, if you don't realize what God's doing with you or someone else in your life, you will not grumble and complain. Because when you start grumbling and complaining... God says, I don't like grumbling and complaining. So that means on Monday morning, when you wake up tomorrow morning, if you have a good job to go to, you won't fuss, will you, Sherry? You'll praise the Lord, right? Thank you, Lord, that I've got a great job to go to. And somebody said, well, what do you do? Well, you tell them what you do. Maybe it's who knows what it is. And somebody said, well, gee, I mean, maybe that's like the guy, one time a guy came to me and he said, I've got to have a job. I said, "What do you do? What kind of job do you want?" He said, "Any kind of a job." I said, "No, no, no, that's not true. You know, you want a job of some kind." He said, "Thurman, I am so desperate. I want any kind of a job." I said, "Okay." I said, "Father, in the name of Jesus, give him a job at McDonald's flipping hamburgers for four bucks an hour." He said, "No, no, I'm a computer scientist. I want a job that pays fifty or sixty thousand a year." I said, "Oh, okay. You didn't mean what you said after all." But I see god 's a faith God, he thinks god's just supposed to know he wants a computer scientist job you know and he knows that god 's supposed to know he wants a fifty thousand or sixty thousand dollars a year job because that 's what he 's trained to do he 's gone to college he 's got his degrees and he has all the experience he needs to, to perform a fifty or sixty or seventy thousand dollar a year job but he didn't he wasn 't specific. he just asked God for a job so if God sends you a job and then you 're not going to be happy with it, you're going to be a murmur and a complainer. I know there's some people, some people, it's unfortunate, that have come to me and want me to pray them in a job. And I pray them in a job, and we're, we're, sometimes we're specific. Usually we have been. I, I know all these things, so I try to be specific. I pray them in a job. And then they're happy as they can be for a week or two or three or four or five or six. And then all of a sudden something happens and they can't get along with the manager or one of the other people and they quit. And then they come back to church again and they not been to church since they got the job. but now then they're out of a job again, so now they want to pray them in another job. And I have this happen to people. And some people never come to church until they got a need. Let me tell you, you know why God doesn't do good things for you? Because you're not seeking him. You're not diligently seeking him. I mean, I've had people, not just once or twice, I can think of here a few months ago, a lady called and said, my mother has cancer. Would you come to our house and pray for her? I said, well, today's Thursday. Saturday, I have a healing school. I said, she needs to come over and hear at the healing school. Well, we're going to Oklahoma to see uh, my sister Saturday. I said, well, what kind of shape is your mother in? Well, they said, the doctor said she might not live more in five or six more weeks. I said, let me tell you, ma'am, if I thought I didn't have but five or six weeks to live, I'd be knocking down the door of a healing school minister, I, unless I wanted to die. Well, she said, well, we just can't come. But I said, can't you just come over here and just pray for her and she get healed? I said, ma'am, first of all, your mother has got to know what brought her sickness on. There's some kind of a sin. I've got to find out what she's been doing. I've got to show her what the Word of God says. I've got to build her faith. That's going to take a minimum, a minimum of three to five hours. I said, now, I don't have that kind of time today to do that, but if you bring her to the healing school, I'll do three to five hours teaching. She can get that information. Then she can be prayed for, and if she'll repent, the Lord will heal her. And she said, well, we just don't have time to do that. If you don't have time to come over here, we don't have time to go to the school. I said, ma'am, you're the one sick, not me. Okay. <laughs> I said, you're the one sick, not me. And it, it never ceases to amaze me that people that think they're going to die, and they will not call on God. It just never ceases to amaze me. And then they're living in some kind of sin. And then people want me to go pray for them, and I find out what they've been doing, and I say, well, you can't go there. That's sin. Well, yeah, but God will understand. God will understand. No, He doesn't. You know, if you're not going to ask the Lord to heal you and restore you to, so that you can serve Him, whenever you come down to your sick day, I don't care how old you are, young or old, If you get down on your deathbed, it will do no no good to ask God to pray for you, uh, for me to pray for you, or anybody else to pray for you, and for God to heal you if you're not willing to give your life to Him. That's the whole purpose of us being here, is to give our life to the Lord. Now then, our purpose, the whole purpose of being on this earth, is to become a member of the body of Christ. That's what the Lord is doing here. He's here developing a bride. The Word of God starts out with a man and a woman and a marriage. It ends with a man and a woman and a marriage. But the one in the end is Christ and the church and that marriage is the last one that takes place and it's when we're wed to Him. We're going to be the bride of Christ. The Lord knew, I believe with all my heart, He knew before the foundations of the world this tiny number of people that was going to accept Him as Lord and Savior. But He still made it And he still gave us a free will. And then even in Matthew 7, he clearly said, the pathway that leads to life is very narrow. And few there will be that will find it. But the road that leads to destruction is broad. And many there will be that will find it. So when you go out there today and start talking to people, you're going to find out that the majority of people is lost. They don't have no clue of spiritual things. They're not interested in spiritual things. They don't want to go to church. They don't want to do anything until they get down on their deathbed or really sick or their kids are really beat up on or something, and then they want somebody to move in and do something. Then they start looking for a man of prayer or a man or woman of faith. Well, at least, praise God, sometimes that will bring them into the kingdom. And at least we have the opportunity to pray for those kind of people and get those kind of people healed and prove to them that our God is a mighty, gracious, merciful God. Because if He wasn't, there would none of us be here. If He wasn't merciful, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't care who we are. But because of His graciousness and mercifulness, we can get saved and then we can change and then we're supposed to stop sinning. The church is supposed to be an instrument that walks in no sin. But whenever they do, these are the things that happen to us. Neither murmur you nor complain as some of them also complained and they were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, all these things happened Unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. This is us. This is the church. The end of the age is coming upon us. Wherefore, let him that thinks, thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, there will never be a temptation that will come to you. If you're walking in the Spirit, if you're walking in the Spirit, you will be able to overcome temptation. If you're not walking in the Spirit, you will not be able to overcome temptation. So, it's too easy for the devil today to take a young man or a young woman and present to them, a drug. Nicotine. Alcohol. All the different drugs that are out there. And they come in a capsule or whatever and with a person and they say, You know, try this. And some of those drugs are addictive with one dose. But all of them destroy you. Every one of them destroy you. Somehow, some way. In fact, I was listening to a tape the other day a man had made. And he said, I got down on the world and somebody got me off on some kind of drugs. He said, since I had no friends of no kind, he said, I would take this drug. And when I did, he said, I would see these creatures. Uh, and he said, it, it, was, it was like a, a dream I was having, but I could see these creatures as long as I had this drug in my body. And said they were such loving kind beings, but they were strange looking critters. But they loved me. And I loved getting high because I loved finding somebody that loved me. Nobody loved him in the world. But he found these creatures they would be good to him in the dream or in this vision that he would see. As long as he was high, he could see these guys. Finally one day, he got hooked on this stuff. When he got hooked on it, he had to have it. Now then, when he had to have it, These things turned wicked, and they treated him like dirt, worse than any human being ever treated him. And he said, I didn't understand what was going on. Finally, one day, somebody led him to Jesus. He got saved and delivered, and he went to school, got a good education, and he became a man of means. And he said, one day... I am in somewhere in a place of business, and somebody's got a television screen on, and I look over there, and I see something, and there's them two guys on that screen that I saw in my dream. He said, I thought, that's them. That's the two guys I saw every time I got high. The ones that were good to me, and now they were they was wicked to me until I got saved, and he said I never saw them again after I got saved. But there they were on that screen. He said, I contacted the organization that made that movie. And you know who that movie, you know what that movie was? Star Wars. And he contacted, in fact, he went to uh, California. He went into the studios. In fact, this guy had become, I take that back, this guy had become a preacher. That's what he had become. He was now a preacher. And he went out there and he went in there and said, I want to know who come up with those guys. Who was it that designed those beings? And they finally got him from one guy to another guy to another guy to another guy until they finally come up to a man. And he said, I designed those guys. He said, where did you get that idea? He said, well, he said, used to. I was a real pothead. And he said, I used to take psychedelic drugs. He said, every time i take those psychedelic drugs, I saw those guys in my dream. Guess what those guys were? Demons. That's what they were. <laughs> demons. And so that same set of demons tormented that man that tormented this one. Now, then, it makes you wonder, doesn't it, when you see some of the things. Some of the things you see on television, I remember way back when Star Wars first came out, I even looked at some of that stuff on television. That's been many years ago. And I would look at some of those guys that were on there, and I thought, you know. Those guys look like something from a wicked world of demonic stuff. And I didn't realize how close I was. But I'm going to tell you, those demons that you see on those movies, somebody has been into the spirit world and seen those creatures. And they've reproduced them just exactly like they look in the spirit world. You want to know what a demon looks like? Look at some of those movies. When you see some of these grotesque, wicked-looking things that you see on television, there's somebody in the psychedelic drug world that's been there and seen those creatures in the spirit world, and they've reproduced them and put them on television. And so whenever the young people today see those guys, and they've already seen them in the physical, then when they get on that stuff and they see them, they're not afraid of them. And so they draw them right in. And what does demons come to do? steal kill and to destroy they draw you right in and they will steal kill and to destroy it's amazing what they do absolutely amazing that when you live in that world of the flesh how you so make god so unhappy but all you got to do is come over into the spirit world where jesus lives and accept jesus christ as your lord and savior and then He'll clean you up and wash you up and make you whole and make you the righteousness of God in Christ. And then when you get cleaned up and get made the righteousness of God in Christ, He will take you out of that pit of snakes. He'll deliver you out of that. And He'll translate you over into the kingdom of the kingdom of heaven. And if you'll study this book and learn it, He'll put you into a realm that'll be beyond your wildest dreams. He will do things that will, I mean, you, you can't imagine how much God loves you, but he only loves those and does good things. He loves everybody, but those that become his children. He will pour out his love upon them and do things for them he would never do for those lost people. That's just like your own child. What will you do for your own child if you love them? Anything. Anything. If, you don't, if you're not willing to do good things for your children, you don't love them. You don't love them. But if you love them, you should do good things for your children. I thought last night as I went out to the ministry center, my son, of course, I've give, given him and his wife that big, beautiful home. He helped me build it. Of course, I built most of it. But Timothy is a very, very, very fortunate young man. So first of all to have been raised up in a home with a daddy that believed in God that served God and then for a daddy to give him a place of business totally death free is another blessing from God and then last night when I went out there to the ministry center to do some work I finally finished about 1130 and I mean there was cars everywhere and so finally before I left about 1130 I walked over to the house and there was still people everywhere young people Maraca's birthday Her 25th birthday. They were having a birthday party. Had the music on. They were shooting firecrackers, all kinds of stuff. And there was all kinds of people. And he said, Dad, you got here too late for the food. He told me, he said, I bought so many pounds of this and so many pounds of this that I thought I'd have food enough for everybody. But he said, they cleaned it all up. He said, there ain't a bite left. So I said, okay. I didn't eat any anyway. But I backed off and looked at that and I thought, Lord, how many young men, 29 years old, live in a quarter-million-dollar, two-story, 5,000-square-foot house that was handed to them free. Not many of them, do you know? Not many. But I set that entire estate that God has given me into a trust, and I made Timothy the trustee. Anything happens to me, it all goes to him, the whole thing. I did that several months ago. I did that when I found out that if I'd have died in the car wreck when my wife and daughter died in that car wreck, I would have left my son owing a three-quarter million dollar debt to the IRS. That's when I went to the trouble, to so set it up in a trust. If you've got an estate that's worth anything at all, and you don't have it fixed up, you you're, you're just don't understand what you're doing. I didn't understand what I was doing. I had no idea that an estate I had bought and built over 35 years that cost me less than three-quarters of a million dollars. Less. Interest, everything I'd paid cost me less than three-quarters of a million to buy all the land, build the house, everything. But now because of the increase in appraised values, it's worth three million dollars. If I had a dad with a will that I had and left that to Timothy, if Betty and Amanda and me had all died in that car wreck, Timothy would have been the sole heir of an estate worth $3 million, and the IRS and the taxes and the probate would have well been over three-quarters of a million dollars. That's more than it cost me to build it and buy it in the first place. That doesn't sound right, does it? Well, it's not right, and God has prepared, prepared a way for you to get around that. But you've got to find you a good estate planner that knows what's going on to do that. And so for a few thousand dollars, I was able to put every bit of that into trust, living trust, where I am the controller of the entire estate as long as I'm alive. But when I die, Timothy becomes the trustee of it, and he's in control of it. And he can do anything he wants to, but since it's in a trust, there'll be no name change. By being no name change, it does not change owners. So he will owe no taxes on that place. None. It'll be his. He can do whatever he wants to I think that's God's way of doing business. I don't think the Lord planned for us to leave an inheritance to the government when we die. I think he planned for us to leave it to our children. And so that's what I'm going to do. But he says here, the Lord will not put you to any kind of temptation that he will not provide a way out. So whenever you're tempted with anything, I don't care what it is. Whether it's money, I don't care what it is. You know, drugs, alcohol, sex, anything you're tempted with, God has provided a way out. There's nothing new to man. He has provided a way out. But you'll have to seek him to be able to go through that. Otherwise you'll fall. Otherwise you'll fall. And when you fall, then you've sinned and you've got a problem. Then he says, Wherein, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. I think about today the people that make money, they're idle. I mean, men and women, it never ceases to amaze me, even in the church, men and women that will not help each other, that the men are causing or forcing their wives to make a living to help them. Hey, guys, let me tell you something. If you can't make enough money to support a woman, don't marry her. You know, Don't marry her. If you can't make enough money to support your woman, just stay single. You know, you need to be able to provide for your mate. You know, if she wants to work, that's okay. But don't require her to work to be able to pay the, uh, the say, you say, okay, you're going to pay half the house payment, I'll pay half the house payment. You pay half the utility, and I'll pay half the utility. I didn't realize there's men and women in the church that are living like that. But they are, a lot of them. You need to be able to take care of your woman. You need to be the provider in your home. But people make money, they're idle. And they won't share it with nobody. I mean, money's just a piece of paper. You know, it's just a piece of paper. Yeah, it'll buy things, but don't idolize it. You know, don't idolize it. Then it says, I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless." Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body; for we all are partakers of that one bread. The whole Israel, after the flesh, are they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered is sacrificed to idols? Is it anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. When you're out there dealing with the secular world, you don't realize how many times you're dealing with a devil. And that's why I'm trying to stress that the Christian should seek to serve the Lord. You know, you don't want to have any kind of communion with a devil. But I'm I am convinced that we have far more communion with devils than we believe. Every time you go out there and if you yield to smoking a cigarette, you're yielding to a devil. Every time you drink a bottle of beer, you're yielding to a devil. Slowly but surely, that devil will kill your liver, your kidneys, your lungs, you're sacrificing to a devil, and you're paying to do it. Can you imagine a human being that will go out? In fact, I thought it was pretty bad last night that it was out there, all the firecrackers they bought. And they were just, I don't know how many they bought, but I'm sure they bought two or three hundred dollars worth of them things. They were out there lighting those firecrackers, and that money is going up in smoke in one heartbeat. Now, we went over to a uh, wedding the other night, uh, Cheryl and Christy thing at a very, very beautiful wedding the other night out on the lake, and I went out there with them. Somebody told me, I forgot how many thousands of dollars worth of firecrackers they fired after they got married, but it was in the thousands. I think five thousand or something dollars worth of fireworks. I mean, they had a crew of men down there. Of course, this guy was, you know, he was very, very rich. There's no two ways about it, because... I think Cheryl told me that that lady's wedding dress, which she knew her very well, her wedding dress alone cost ten thousand dollars. Just her wedding dress was ten grand. And so, what's five thousand dollars worth of firecrackers? And especially when a helicopter comes and flies across the lake at midnight, picks them up, and hauls them off. You know, that's not exactly the average wedding. We didn't quite do it that way. <laughs> the, oh, the firecrackers cost a thousand dollars a minute. Yeah, ever there was shooting, so many of them. And I thought, as I sat there and watched that, I thought, wow, the people out here, the carnal people that are out here, you know, that are, that are enjoying this and they are having a good time, but think what could have been done with that money for the kingdom of God. Think of the children in the world that could have been... Better. Of course, that, I've understood that that woman and her husband do support a lot of other fine things. I understand they do a lot of good for people. And when I was talking to Cheryl about it, she said, Honey, this woman, I've known her a long time, said she's a very, very giving woman. She said she really does help lots of people. So that's good. So if you have an abundance, like they obviously have, and you want to spend it on a deal like you're waiting, and you want to spend that kind of money, I guess that's okay. <laughs> if you have that much abundance. Uh, Cheryl and I didn't have that much, so our waiting didn't cost near that much. <laughs> but we're just as married as they are. I'll tell you for sure. We got a license just like theirs. And they paid the same $41 for theirs we paid for ours. And I know ours is legitimate because I signed it. (laughs) I know it's good. So we haven't gotten it back yet. I told her the other day, I said, you know, I sent that off, but I didn't really ever sign that. (laughs) She said, you did, too. I said, yeah, I was just kidding you. Yeah. I said, you didn't know you moved into with me without being married to me. She said, no, no, no. I'll, I'll never believe that. <laughs> I can't even kid her and get her. it not believe me anymore, see. Because the Word of God says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and yet be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat it, asking no questions for conscience sake. In other words, don't, if they said something before you at a, at a uh, well, I mean, just like if that wedding was after that night, there's all kinds of food. I didn't know what it was. But since it was there, I just ate it. I didn't ask them. I blessed it. I will say that. I definitely blessed it. But I didn't drink of the wine. When they brought the champagne around, I didn't partake of that because I knew what that was. And the reason I didn't partake of the champagne or any wine was because I didn't know who might walk in. Am I free to take a sip out of a champagne glass if I want to? Sure I am. But will I do it? No. Why not? What if somebody across there knew I was a preacher? And they're over there watching me and they said, look at that preacher. He's drinking alcohol. I was raised up in a church that says people of God are not supposed to drink alcohol. And so I offend that person. If I offend that person, what did I just do? I sinned. That's exactly right. I sinned. So to make sure... I don't offend a brother, I will absolutely never put a drop of alcohol to my lips, under no condition, beer, wine, anything, I will not put it to my lips for the simple reason I don't want to offend a brother. Now then, if you're at home and you say, well, I like, in fact, I've even given some uh, uh, men and women that have asked me a question, well, my wife or my husband, he likes to have a, a glass of wine over dinner at home. Can I drink it with him? I said, sure. If you're there at home with your own husband, nobody else in your house, and you want to have one glass of wine with your husband over dinner, you're free to have that glass of wine. But don't go out and tell the rest of the world you're doing it. You know, don't go out and flaunt it. Because if you go out and tell everybody, then, you know, you may tell somebody that hears that and say, goodness, I can't believe that Thurman did this. So, uh, you know, you don't want to offend your brother. Paul's talking about here don't even, if whatever is set before you to eat it, if it's been sacrificed to an idol, he said, if you think it's been sacrificed to an idol, don't ask any questions. But if they tell you this has been sacrificed to an idol, he says, don't eat it for conscience sake. Therefore, you might offend your brother. What he's trying to tell us is we're supposed to be all things to all people so that we get a few people saved. But to do this, that's what I told Cheryl when she came into my household. I said, honey, I'm going to tell you, if you come over here and you marry me, I'm going to tell you, I have to walk a razor blade, and the life of a pastor is a grueling thing. And, and you just don't realize what we're going to have to go through. Well, today, coming down, she's gently complaining a little. You're right. This schedule is grueling. You know, she said, wow, we have no time to ourselves. She said, but I'm not complaining. I said, oh, you're not? <laughs> it sure sounds to be like we are. But the thing about it is, she's just learning what we go through. The hours were up, you know, uh, up late and up early. And this morning when I went in to wake her up, we were up late last night, or I should say early hours of the morning. We were still, you know, going, doing things, and we finally get in bed at a late hour or an early hour, what do you want to say? And this morning at 7.30, my alarm goes off. And I I get up, and she says, can I sleep a little while? I said, I'll run in and take a shower, and then I'll get you up. So I went in there, and 20 minutes later, I'm out, and I lay my hand on the bed, and she says, no, it can't be time already. (laughs) I said, it's time already. See, she didn't have any idea. I mean, she don't mind singing at night and staying out till 1 or 2 in the morning, but she wants to sleep till noon, see. And that's okay. She could do that, or or whatever, right, Scott? Or 1 or 2. But when you come into my house, oh, you can't do that. You can't sleep all day because we got things to do and places to go. But anyway, I told her tonight. She said, the kitchen is terrible, terrible. It's got three or four little dishes in the sink, you know, really terrible. But she thinks it's terrible. She said, tonight, as soon as we get home tonight, i got to clean the kitchen. I said, that'll take a whole sum of 15 minutes. I mean, with no more than the sink. But I am grateful to have a woman that don't have a sink full of dirty dishes. Because we did look at a house. Yesterday at a healing school, a couple brought us some pictures of their daughter. I think they said she was 33 or something, 30-something years old. It's obvious when you look at the pictures, the woman has no self-esteem, nothing. This house that she lived in, mother and dad took pictures of this house, and they showed them to us. And I'm going to tell you, when they finally evicted the girl out of the house, you know what they're going to do with the house? They're going to burn it. That's how bad that house is. They're going to burn it. You can't believe what people live in. That's just like a gentleman up in New York that died, and a friend of mine bought the house, and we hauled seven big, giant, sideboard pickup loads of cans and bottles and stuff out of the inside of that house. It looked like a dump ground, a junk ground. I can't imagine anybody living with a trail. But in this house we looked at yesterday, there wasn't even any trails. You had to walk over the stuff to get from room to room. And some of it was stacked up this high. You know, it was terrible. It was terrible. It was worse than terrible. But I don't understand how people can live like that and profess to be a Christian. I just don't understand it. They have never realized who they are in Christ. If you ever get a hold of who you are in Christ, you will straighten your act up. And, and that's the beautiful part, at least about Cheryl, she keeps saying, at least since I've been there, a really nice house. I, don't, I wasn't there before, so I don't know what it looked like before, and I ain't gonna ask Scott, so... <laughs> but I will say that I did make a statement to her one day that I, she said, what do you think about a house? I said, I love a clean house. Well, I do realize that in the next couple of weeks, she cleaned and dusted everything in that house. Everything, because when I walked in it first time, I knew this girl had touched everything in that house because there wasn't a thing in it that had any dust on it. And I know that's not a normal house. So anyway, I know that she done that because I made that statement. But I do like a clean house. It's unfortunate that I didn't always keep even of my own that clean. But I do like a clean one. It says there, if it says there, for conscience sake, but if any man said this is... Is offer- we'll go to verse 29. Conscious, I say, not thine own, but for the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. We need to walk so holy and so obedient to the Word of God that wherever we go, people will see the power and the love that we walk in, and they'll see there's something different about us, and we need to be walking holy and clean and pure before God. And as we do that, people need to come to know Christ because they... As we're walking pure and clean and holy, if you're doing that and you're walking in the faith world, when you pray for people and pray in faith, what's God going to do for you? He's going to do miracles. He's going to do healings. He's going to do signs and miracles and wonders. And when people start seeing the church walk in the power of God, people will want what you got. They will want what you got. I'm telling you, it is fun to see God answer all these prayers for all these people And I got an email this week from a doctor. I'm going to tell you this story, and then I'm going to quit. I got an email from a doctor that was at Big Sandy. It was from San Antonio. He said, I graduated from seminary. And he said, when you walked on that platform, and when you got off of there in an hour and a half, he said, I'm telling you, you lit my fire beyond anything you can imagine. He said, I went to seminaries where I used to ask questions. And they said, well, no, since we've got the entire Word of God, God don't do healings no more. He don't do miracles no more. He said, I'm telling you, they told me that basically God was dead. But he said, I am so grateful that God has raised up a man that walked out on that platform and for an hour and a half talked about miracles and signs and wonders and healings he had seen. And you quoted scriptures. He said, I'm telling you, I now know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is absolutely still in the healing and the miraculous business. And then yesterday at a healing school, we had a lady come there. She said, I was at Big Sandy. She said, my husband and I would read these great promises we'd ask our pastor or doctors of theology, and they'd explain them away. And she said, when you walked out on that platform and said what you did, she said, I said, honey, that's it. That man's got it. He's got it. I said, it works. I knew that would work. All I got to do is believe God. She said, I had been on, I forget how many medications, for how many years. She said, the afternoon I left, we left there, and I went straight to the hotel room. I took every medication I had, dumped in the commode, and flushed it. And I said, I'll never take another one. But she said, before, before faith came, I could go a week without medication. I was immobile. I couldn't do nothing. I'd have to get back on my medication. But she said, when I heard you teach and you heard you spit out those promises, and I knew those promises, she said, my faith came, and I flushed all those things, and she said, since Big Sandy, about three months ago or whatever it was, heard her husband was at healing school yesterday, and he said,
1: man, I'm having to take vitamins to keep up with her. <laughs> I mean, she was on fire. Thank you.